All right, we're recording. Julian, you here? Yep. Well, you want to do the intro? Hey, guys. Welcome back <laughs> to um, um, Enlightened so, NPCs. And if you don't know what so NPCs far. mean, it means nickel, penny, copper. Copper. Coin. Nickel, penny, nickel, penny, coin. Uh, yeah. That's also so, my personal slogan. Mind on my money. Money on my mind. On today's roster, we're going to talk about Snowpiercer. Then we're going to talk about Sandwiches in New York. Then Julian... Don't spoil it. Don't like spoil to, the rest. Don't spoil the rest? No, that's Because Julian's segment, Julian's segment's pretty... Uh, sweet. It's going to be re- pretty sweet. It is, it is really sweet. And it's... um. It's a real natural, down to earth kind of thing. So, it's beautiful. If you if you listen to our last episode, uh, me and Will's last episode where we went and talked about conspiracy theories, we had a conversation without Julian because thank God we, we don't we don't talk about our outlandish conspiracy theories with Julian because I'm afraid of where it'll go. Uh, we talked a little bit about classism. It, not not really an educated conversation, but a conversation nonetheless. By the way, Hillary Clinton, I love what you're doing with your life. Um, and <laughs> We're very happy. I said, you really need to watch this movie, Snowpiercer, because philosophically, it has a lot going for it. Now, Julian has never actually seen the movie. And Will watched it. I skimmed it. Will, Will skimmed it and then watched it. And then I the skipped summaries. like the last 20 minutes. So Will's going to try and explain the movie to, to Julian. And then we'll kind of unpack it. Oh, this is this is gonna be terrible. Okay, so <laughs> in 20- spoilers, 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 spoilers. The movie, yeah, spoilers. If you've never seen the movie Snowpiercer, just keep listening because the, it's terrible. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good. You're never movie. gonna. It's a good it's, premise. No, it's a good movie. Shut it's up. a good it's premise. A good movie. It's a good movie. All right, go ahead. Okay, maybe, maybe it is good. I, I didn't give it that much of a chance, honestly. No, you didn't. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so the movie yeah, comes right. out in 2013. But it's set in 2014, and in 2014, which is technically the future when it came out, um, the 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 planet is heating to the point where people are dying and stuff. So they use this chemical called what was it CW7 or something, something and like um, it's supposed to cool the atmosphere down. But it ends up being like super overkill, and it freezes the whole planet. So, like, the whole planet enters into a, another ice age. And um, everyone dies except for a small group of people that, for some reason, just travel around on a train. I never actually got why they're on a train. Okay. Um, so, 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 this all happened in one year. This is the first year. I guess every, okay. yeah, in one year, everyone dies. So, here's what happens. Will's, Will's pretty head on. So, the year is 2031. And global warming has caught up to us, and we, in our solutions, we're going to launch a chemical into the atmosphere that's going to uh, thin the atmosphere enough to let like the vacuum of space f- cool everything down. Um, it turns out we the math was screwy, and we freeze the entire planet accidentally, and everybody just starts dying. You had one job. Okay. One job. Right. So, as a result, this planet is frozen, but there is a cluster of people still alive that we know of in the movie who are aboard this train. Will, you want to talk about the train? 
Sure, yeah. Um, the train is segmented by class. So well, the front what of was, the, What was the train's original purpose? To be a house for the rest of humanity, right? A moving okay, house. So you really, you really didn't watch the movie. Well, I right, might have missed so, some details. <laughs> so Julian, Julian, before the Ice Age, right? There's this crazy Willy Wonka kind of guy named Williford, and Williford wants to make a train that travels the entire circumference, or well, that tours every continent, kind of. It's like a, it's like a cruise, but it's on a railroad. It's a railroad cruise. Does that makes sense. Yeah. And it's got and it's got its own food sources and it's so people can get on it and you take a three hundred and sixty five day trip on this train and you tour the whole world on this train. And it goes through underwater tunnels and it goes through na 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 in the ocean and it goes through every country and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So after the Ice Age, um the only people that are still alive are the people that were actually originally aboard this train when the earth froze. Because the train was built again, this is the year twenty thirty one. The, build, the train was built self-servicing and self-contained. It has what is called the eternal engine. It grows its own food. Um, so, you know, the people are still alive because they don't have to get out of the train. The train just keeps going around the tracks every, every year. So why didn't they just build that for everyone then when everyone was beginning to die from the cold? Because they, they didn't have time. And later revealed in the movie, you find out that they they the creator of the train realized that it wasn't possible if they would have okay if they would have opened the doors the the population which becomes a huge topic wouldn't have been sustainable so if you caught up right so now we have this train that self we have a self-sustaining system that's going around the earth to train and we're in the ice age and this train has been going going around for a while i think uh we're like we're like 14 years or 15 years forward now of this, wait, how, this train has gone around 15 times. Wait, how cold is it? Like outside? Unlivable. Freezing. Unlivable. Antarctic. Okay. I think you... I, I remember some guy, like, uh, in the beginning, he gets... He, like, puts his arm... Like, he... They're trying to punish him, and they put his arm at the train, and, like, within minutes, it's, like, his arm is just dead. It's a frozen block. So, okay, so we're 14 years in the future, and the train is no longer a fun vacation. What does the train look like now, Will? Um, you could say it looks like a modern-day... Flexion. California. <laughs> no, not California. No, it's, it's, uh, it looks like any sort of society where there's... Um, there's the aristocrats, and then there's the middle class, which is like kind of like the soldier communities and then there's um the lower class which is just like uh slum dwellers and so each in the front of the front of the train yeah the front of the train is like train is a representation of a different class of society now Um, how big is the train like is it like it's like it's a i think it's like a quarter or half a mile long it's a half a mile long let me hold on let's see it's very long very long. Isn't that part of the mystery? Is like they don't really know how big it is because they're they're cut Correct. off from the other sections. Exactly. So and they're kept in the dark about that. Fourteen years. Basically, what happened over the fourteen years of the Ice Age, Julian, is these that because because this train is a self-contained system, essentially a a society formed within this train. 
And instead of being separated by rivers or oceans or mountains or um, something like that, these different countries or societies or classes are separated quite literally by the train cars. And so in the back of the train, you have, like, like Will said, this slum where it's overpopulated and everybody's packed in together. And then you have kind of like a middle class, which are these soldiers that work for, you know what I mean, who work for the upper middle class. And the upper middle class have kids that get an education and there's a school. And then you have the rich who party all day and do drugs. And then you have, at the front of the train, you have the driver, who we don't find out about really until the end. Um, yeah. So it's 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 this expansion of this concept. It's a reflection of society, but it, it's it's displayed as much more, you know, point blank in the fact that the classes are literally each train car is its own class. It kind of, um, like reminds me of my uh, my own experiences because uh, for anybody who doesn't know, I. I was in the Navy for about four years, and that was one of the things about the Navy that is sort of different about, different than living as a normal civilian, is the class structure in the military is super obvious. You have officers and enlisted, and the officers, they literally have like these blue tiles on the ship where you can walk on those tiles if you're an officer, but if you're enlisted, you're not allowed to walk on those tiles. They have separate bathrooms. They have separate mess halls. Um, they get paid four times as much. And, right. and then also, people don't even really speak to officers. And when they do speak to them, they call them sir. Mm-hmm. So I saw these sort of rank systems in the military. And for me, that was like a big part of the reason why I began to see rank structure in real life because I, I started to realize that these classes sort of like already existed. Exist. They just always existed. It's just I, I, I didn't really see it until the military. So, right. yeah. If I could inquire, is there any advantage to walking on the blue tiles or is it just like a fuck you kind of scenario? No, there's like real reasons for these things to happen. Like, okay. um, I imagine the blue tile rule exists probably because um, if there was some sort of like emergency situation right. and some officer needs to deliver some really important paperwork to somebody across the hall, they don't want that hallway to get congested and stop. Because believe it or not, uh, paperwork has to be filed like even when you're at war. Right. Like if you fire... If you fire a bullet or you drop a bomb, that needs to be put somewhere, like put in a system and inputted That's that you did that. So they try to keep track of everything, including okay. things that you normally wouldn't think of to keep track of. Right. So, the the people in the back of the train, they they don't even get real food. They get these energy bars every day. And there's not enough of them. They have to divvy them up for the children and stuff. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough back there. Um, and they're sick of it. Uh, what do you think that they do when they're sick of it? Rebel. 
they start planning a rebellion, they're going to get somewhere. They don't actually know because they're actually completely unaware of anything else on the entire train except their own cart and the cart in front of them that they know has soldiers. It's a certain length and that's where the food comes from. And so they 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 build this battering ram that's that long that they can run run along the top of over the heads of the soldiers and they're going to bust through the door and they have a timing window and they they plan this all out. They don't even know what's in the next what's Dude, in the next wouldn't that what? kill everybody? What? Wouldn't that kill everybody? To what do you mean? To batter down the doors? They're gonna no. So the doors are like sci-fi hatch doors, so they open and close like a supermarket door. So they're gonna the battering ram sits in the middle, so the doors can't close, and they run along the top of it. Oh, I see. So their their plan is now no one no one because of because of how long it's been, no one knows anything else except for their quote leader, their shaman who's the oldest one there and he he tells them of of the front of the train being better and they need to guide a rebellion and he's encouraging them to rebel yeah. um wait doesn't it turn so, out that he's the leader so well he's the re- he's the leader of the slum he's the leader of the slums. oh he's the shaman of the slum. he's the oldest one back there so they have this rebellion and they break into they break into the first they break out they they figure it out that the guards don't actually have any more bullets they've run out of bullets because they've been executing unruly slum people and doing things for so long they've run out of bullets so they think and so the guards that have been this entire time haven't even had bullets in their guns so they break through and they're breaking through and the next step in the plan is to break um break this guy out of out of cryo prison because they have a prison system there where they take people that are maybe maybe um, knowledgeable, but violent or problematic, and so they they freeze them and they they thaw them back out when they need them. And one of these guys is is the electrician, the the electrical engineer for the whole train. He's a drug addict and he's in, he's he's frozen in the next car. And they break him out and he's going to help them get to the front of the train and take over and make society better and even out society. So there's no longer rich peoples and soldiers and slums. It's going to be, it's going to be socialism train. No more classism train. I see. So is um, there resources in the train? What? And also, is there finite resources yeah. in the train? And yeah. also, is there some sort of like job system that's developed in the train? Yeah. Or is- yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So let's put this in perspective. In the back, in the back, very first um, section of the train, there's probably a hundred, hundred and twenty. Would you say, well, people there? Sure. There's about hundred and twenty people. There's about ten or twelve guards with guns. Of those twelve guards with guns, there's one disciplinary manager lady who sucks over those people and so then they progress so they break the guy out of prison they go to the next they go to the she's next she's hilarious <laughs> yeah she's actually she does, she's an incredible actress they go to the next section of the train and they find out where their food comes from resources have gotten so slim that their food is actually ground cockroaches in water blended and put into a gel form that's what they eat every day well they haven't they don't know this 15 years they've been eating this they have no idea what about the rest of the uh, trains? Are they eating the same stuff? So, the next train they get through, the next they they break through, and the next um, 
the next cart they get to is empty. And this is kind of a turning point in the movie. Um, but they, they realize that there's actually another group of soldiers, a SWAT team that's come and they, they have real functioning guns and they have night vision and the leader of the rebellion played by Chris Esmonds, seems Curtis realizes that the train is about to go through this historically long tunnel where it's going to be completely black. So what do you think is going to happen when it goes blackout? They're going to, they're going to slaughter the entire rebellion in the night, in the darkness. And so you're like, oh, they're fucked. This is over, right? The train's going to go through the tunnel. It's going to go pitch black, and the SWAT team's going to kill them all. They think quickly, and they make these torches. And um, you, 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 have, you have experience with in, infrared goggles, right? Um, or no. infrared vision. Well, a, a torch point blank from infrared vision renders it completely useless. Yeah, because the so they, they they make these torches and they fight them and they kill all these soldiers and like ninety percent of them die or, or something. Ninety percent of the rebellion. Yeah. Damn. So it goes from like thirty people to four. And who lives? The leader, Chris Evans, the drug dealer guy, uh, the drug dealer's daughter. Not the drug dealer. The elect the 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 guy that broke out of prison. The electrician who also is a drug addict. His daughter. Um, and the old man live. And so, so, so yeah. but my question is, so are the people in the back, are they like doing some sort of labor for the, no, or? no, we, not that you know of. So then what's the, like, well, what's the point of the class system? Because usually so, like, well, here's what you're going to find out. Yeah, there's a, so there's something we don't know yet. There's something you don't know yet. They, they reproduce, right? And yeah. occasionally these soldiers have been coming back and, and taking a, a very small child. They will every certain amount of time or years, they will come and they will measure a child and they will take that child away. And then on the back of the train doesn't know why, because they don't know anything beyond their cart yet. They just know that so, children are disappearing. <laughs> they just know their children are disappearing. They're being taken by the military, the military, which is 10 people. Well, it's just now three people. So they go to the next. So after this this slaughter, they, they go to the next cart and it's this lush garden and there's a chef and she's serving sushi and they have aquariums and, and there's all this food being grown. And they go through like four or five carts of this. Finally, they get four to one and um, they, 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 they come across a school with children learning and a teacher. Now they have they have the leader of the military hostage, which is how they're walking through every single section like this, and so they're walking, they're going through and through and through, and they finally they, they go through all the classes of society. They find the rich people and their coffee and their served meals and steak, um, and they find the ultra rich who are partying and like doing a version of ecstasy and just getting high and having sex, and, and they're in like a nightclub cart, and they get to the front of the cart, and the electrician breaks them into the engine room. And they come into contact with the captain, the creator of the cart, Williford. And Williford uh, looks over at the guy who led the rebellion, who's the only one that chose to go in there. The other guy, the other two are just happy to go off and party. And, of course, Williford has the, the military leader as captive, or Curtis has him as captive. And Williford says, she can go. I'll sit down and talk to you. You made it this far. I'll talk to you. Yeah. And this is where we kind of, we kind of find out the bomb drop. Williford, who's been driving the train, who designed the train and built the train, has been in communication 
with the shaman, the leader of the poor people for the last 15 years through a note system, a secret note system. The rebellion was planned. Um, the rebellion was planned. They, he planned, he organized with the leader of the poor people for him to encourage rebellion because the population was, level was getting too high and the rebellion would result in a slaughter, which would, which would dull the population down. Uh, he reveals it's all been planned. It's all, it's all, it's been systematic. And then he reveals the reason why they've been, they've been taking the children. There's a part in the eternal religion that was designed incorrectly that has gone defunct. And if a child is small enough, the child can be put in this little section in the engine and do the job of that part. I think it's like pulling a lever endlessly, pulling this little tiny lever. And he reveals that the child that is chosen to pull this lever, after they are done, after they are too big to pull the lever anymore, they ascend and they are brought to the middle class or the upper class. Yeah. So the movie, the movie, the movie ends uh, by him, Kurt, the rebellion leader, getting very angry. Uh, him and the druggie blow a hole in the side of the train, and they they leave the train. They walk out into the snow. They, the, the train stops, they walk out into the snow. It's revealed that the druggy guy has been studying Inuit snow lessons and he saw out the window while during the rebellion signs of the snow melting. And so, you know, they're, they're going out to figure it out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wanted to talk about it. So the train was all, being run by yeah, child labor. Yeah. So, so essentially what's happening is the entire time, these, this this ultra high class was design has designed this entire process. They designed the rebellion. They they had designed um, food shortages to to modulate the population. I mean, if you think about it, like a train in a really cold world is it's not too different from a planet in a really cold universe. You know, right? That's the whole point of the movie. <laughs> exactly. Got it. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was we. It's something a metaphor we can for philosophically life, dude. look at because it's 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 crazy um, in a lot of ways. The reflections, the mirroring that goes on. Um, yeah, I mean the only the only thing that I don't really understand is, I don't really get the point of uh, having a poor class if right, if they're not serving some sort of purpose like. Like usually in all, like in our society, the reason we have a poor class is because uh, they provide labor seemingly. For the, no, but that that's exactly the point of the poor class in this in this movie. Well, but, they provide one like one laborer ever so often, you know. Right, but it's the only laborer the train needs, and that and that labor has to be a very specific size, and so they need the poor to reproduce, and chances of to get higher chances of producing the right fit for the job yeah I'm, i mean i guess so but um obviously it's revealed the upper middle class aren't allowed to um f- have sex fornicate um in a way that would produce produce children for obvious reasons closed system right and so the only source of these children is from the poor class and the only way that someone ascends to a higher class right because the higher class would slowly die is by being chosen 
to mindlessly pull a lever until they're too big to do so. And then they are just dropped into middle class. They're set to school and they assimilate and they learn this worldview that that's just how it has to be. I think 120 people might be an overestimate. Okay, 60. Because, yeah, because I think it makes more sense if there's... Huh? Just imagine being coach or or just like uh, being in coach for 14 years. Like, I hate rock coach, dude. (laughs) Just imagine. Um, I would encourage everybody to watch it because philosophically, it's a really good look at society. I thought of North Korea when I watched it, honestly. You've got this like two individuals that are really living well and the people associated with them who are doing okay. Yeah, there's he just put a picture in the chat what it looks like. Uh, yeah, I would say that's like 60, 70 maybe. No, okay. 60 or 70. I mean, but, I think yeah. I think it makes sense that there's probably like the perfect number of people yeah, it's to produce like a, a varied gene pool like enough that it's not like yep. incest basically so, yep and they plan these rebellions and they plan these events and these food shortages so people die so the train can stay sustained and keep running and 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 and, and the person in charge of the person in charge of, of 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 maintaining it is a mole he's within the poor people himself who communicates with the front of the train and helps the front of the train make these population decisions and so what happens is at the end of the movie when he gets to the front of the train, the rebellion leader gets to the front of the train, Wolford says, explains it all to him and says, now you must go back to the back of the train and you must be the person that helps me so that we can continue to live. You must be the person that helps me plan these rebellions. You must be the person that helps me monitor he the He says that to Curtis? What? He says that to Curtis? Correct. And Curtis says, hell no, right? No, he says, no, we're leaving. We're stopping the train. This is not how a world should exist. We're going to go try and survive. There's signs of the ice melting and he breaks the cycle. But, so spoiler alert again, but I think uh, in the summary I watched, it said everyone dies except two people. Is that, is that uh, true? I mean, I think it's implied because they take these warm coats and they leave the train. And they just leave a big old hole blown on the side of the train. So I'm pretty sure that's just implied that they're going to die. Yeah. I mean, do you think that there's any uh, truth to this movie at all or... Like, do you think that our society has, in the past, orchestrated uh, rebellions just to kill off parts of the population? In the United States, less prevalent. In other countries, during the age of uh, rampant imperialism, um, maybe in the United States, for sure. You don't think that we've made excuses to kill people because we needed to accomplish something? I mean, yeah, like, uh, Native Americans, I guess. You know? Exactly. Exactly. I think people who operate at like the highest levels of society, I don't yeah. even think they see the masses as like individual humans. Like no. it's just numbers. You, no. no. It's just numbers on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Percentages. I agree, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I I, I, I can personally. I can tell you personally from personal experience that it, it works that way, even on a low level. When I was, when I was working at a job at a, in a corporate career and I had 15 employees, you try and be friends with them. You try to, and you, you maintain a personal connection, but at the end of the day, when they're not in your office, you know what you see, you see their employee number and their sales and it's just numbers. 
That's all it is. And you're, you're, you're expected from the people above you to make a decision based on those numbers. Never mind the fact that one's a single mother that will have to go on unemployment or that one of them is a dropout that came from McDonald's and he's making $6 an hour more and this is significantly improving his life. All you see is he's not making a sales, he's got to go. Or someone above you yeah. is going is gonna, is gonna to... And then imagine if you have literally nobody above you because you're like a multi-billionaire. Right. And, and the way it works is the, per- my, the manager above me is saying, this person that's not making sales has got to go. And if you, you can't, if you can't do it, you're going to go. And you know what the person above her is saying? If you can't get your store under control and you can't get employees to make money, you're going to go. And the person above her is saying, if you can't get your division under control and stores make money, you're going to go. And then there's a vice president at the top of it. There's an owner of the company. Yeah, 100%. But there's never so it's never actually that there's nobody above you because even the president of the company, uh, he still has to answer to the investors of the company. Right, right. So and that, that, I think that's the magic. And of, then, in a certain a, to a certain in a certain way, everyone the whole company answers to the customers. Exactly. exactly. So it's like you full know, circle. <laughs> exactly. Just like in the movie Snowpiercer, whether or not Wilford is at the front of the train and he's living the best life and he's eating steak, he needs the poor people. Why? Because someone's got to run the train. Someone's got to replace the part. Now, I think there's a question and argument that we missed here, which is, well, why doesn't he just let the rich people produce and have there only be an extremely limited population? Because he doesn't want uh, the upper class children to have to do child labor. Exactly. Exactly. You know, know, uh, I heard an argument before of like, why, like, why do we have, um, homeless people in America because you know we could easily solve homelessness um I think there was some figure it was like less than 12 billion dollars or something don't quote me on that that might not be accurate but it's like some really small number we we don't use actual quoted metrics on this show but (laughs) ever but uh somebody was (laughs) telling me once and it made so much sense that the reason that homeless people exists and when i say this it doesn't mean like someone is necessarily orchestrating it but i mean it's like incidentally happening because through these everybody's like filling apart incidentally right it's the same reason why um, the rich people don't want to but the reason homeless people exist uh is simply like a warning to the lower class minimum wage workers like if homeless people oh yeah it's all tiered if homeless people did not exist, then there wouldn't be anything stopping someone who's working, you know, 80 hours a week at three jobs, minimum wage from just quitting. You know what I mean? So we have these, we have it. So those people can see someone a little bit worse than them uh, so that they'll fill that little niche. And I want to I want to point out really quick, not to interrupt you, that this is not your personal opinion. This is a theory you read. Um, I mean, I just I've heard this uh, said by uh, a it makes a lot of sense to me. It, yeah, it does. I'll, I'll say we. Um. There is a little bit more problems with homelessness. There's huge correlations with homelessness and mental health health issues that are not addressed, addiction issues that are not addressed that are very difficult to fight. That are that are symptoms of much bigger problems. The way this country handles uh, addictions, uh, the way this country handles alcohol, any country really, um, mental health, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the, and the last thing I'll say on that is, 
I was also like not to bring up uh, politics too much because it's a tough issue for a lot of people. But I was like watching the debates tonight, and yeah. one thing that kept bothering me a little bit is I actually really like Bernie Sanders, but he kept on bringing up like the billionaire class, right? And I think like the real like if you're really looking at it. Like, people were like, oh, let's not blame, you know, black or white people. It's the billionaires. If you really look at it, it's not even the billionaires. It's everybody. Everybody's, like, trying to survive. And they're in their little niche, like, trying to be a little bit better than somebody else. So it's not just the billionaires. I mean, like, the person who's working a minimum wage job, he just as much probably doesn't care about the homeless guy. And the person who's working as a manager, he doesn't care about his subordinates you know what I mean? and society so, makes it incredibly the, the way that business is run here and the way it's expecting of you it makes it incredibly difficult for you to care and mainstream marketing yeah it, it's designed that way and I, to, to piggyback on your point I, it's important that you said that they, oh we're looking to blame the billionaires do i think there's a problem with billionaires yes is there is there a problem with the american tax system that allows ultra wealthy loopholes to escape taxation yeah it's a problem everybody knows it's a problem it's like both sides agree at this point there the people the far right and i'm conservative people that say that it's not a problem are just daft greedy idiots it's a problem we need to the fact that netflix doesn't pay an amount of taxes the fact that these companies and these billionaires are escaping taxation is absurd but it's if you look at the money and that would we would gather from billionaire taxation and you look at the way that that the that were whipped into blaming billionaires. Why is no one talking about the way the government rampantly spends money on stupid shit constantly? We're just in the nature of blaming. That's the thing. Exactly. If it it wasn't a billionaire, we'd be blaming immigrants. If it wasn't immigrants, we'd be blaming, you know, it's like, but I find it most interesting and, and we hear all this thing about political parties being involved in mass media and promotion, and political parties being involved in what you see, and, and paid promotion and paid ads. I, I find it interesting that it's always it's always the media and something telling us someone to blame. It's all, but where no one is really where's the strong argument from either side. I have not seen a strong argument from either side in a long time about the way the government themselves spends money. The government itself is a is its own class in this classism, and it's 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 rampant as well, and it's richer I, than the billionaires. I have a story on that from the military, actually. Go for so, it. So, not specifically from me, but from a friend who worked in supply. Uh, he worked in supply, and he had to order a door handle for a, a latch in the uh, laboratory of a of an airplane. So, right. those little bathroom door handles, yeah. and. He ordered it, and the part was going to cost him $14,000. And he went to his uh, supply officer, and he's like, is this right? And he's like, yeah, go ahead and order it. And (laughs) it turns out the reason is that they get these uh, contracts uh, that are bidded by contractors. And usually it goes to someone who's buying a politician or the lowest bidder, depending one of the two. But the thing is, is they specifically will like design their parts to maybe break a little easier and oh, yeah. even to make them more expensive because you can't order from another manufacturer because their part might specifically like need a certain, right. have a certain attribute to it. 
So, like, think about that. You're spending $14,000 just for a door latch on a bathroom. Like, that's the most expensive doorknob I've ever heard. Well, the hospital industry is the same way. Do some research on the hospital industry. Every hospital has a book called a charge book. And the charge book is a secret black book that's held in relationship to the insurance companies. And what they do is they sit down and agree on how much they're going to charge for shit. And the insurance company says, oh, yeah, we can afford this as it goes wrong. And the hospital says, oh, yeah, we can charge this if they don't have insurance. And it's completely inflated and it's, and it's monopolized and it's abused. It's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I rampantly it abused. I think it's like that for everything. I mean, like, uh, like a pair of shoes. Uh, it's made in a factory by workers that are making maybe twenty-five cents a day, and then yep. you go and buy it, and it's seventy dollars to a hundred dollars for a pair of Nikes. Not just that, Nike, okay. But that 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 I'm less angry about because that's to me. To me, that's basically it cost me twenty to make it. I've got to wholesale it for forty, and at retail, it's got to be eighty. That's just people having to make money, simple supply and demand, and and, and importing exporting. That's that's fine, but but the scenario where you have a surgery that costs the hospital, okay, a hundred dollars, and to make profit, they should charge two hundred dollars. But oh no, we're going to charge three thousand dollars because your insurance is going to cover it anyway. No, I no, and if your insurance doesn't cover it. Give us three grand. That's that's absurd. That's like the guy that I'm when you that the shoe costs twenty five cents, not twenty dollars. Like right. Well, okay. The, yes, we we all know. Most people know that there's a certain amount of markup, and it's hard. And that's why we have quality products, and you have you know you have H and M, and you have quality products. Y- yes, I agree. But I think there's a difference between to a hundred dollars. That's yeah, like a cr- four thousand percent markup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, part I, of it is marketing. Like, there's yeah, just the branding, and you need the newest shoe and stuff. Like, there's people who dedicate their lives to getting the newest shoes. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Aubrey, you have some experience with that. Well, you know, I used to be that way, and you can go to a like, Goodwill you know store. What? I just buy what I like. If I get it, I'm happy. If I don't get it, I'm like, whatever. There'll be another shoe next week. Hey, and you know, there's nothing wrong with like. Uh, consuming what you like or whatever, and there isn't even anything wrong with marking up if people will buy it. I guess my problem is that we're just totally missing the picture when it comes to our society. When when too many people get greedy and too many people do yeah. this, because and, you begin and, and, to treat people like little pegs that go in little holes, and you yeah. begin to see, you know, uh-huh. products. For a lot more than what they are, which is just something someone made uh, and does not need to be 4,000 times as much. Right. And and in, installing emotional value into a product is a completely different conversation. Um, but I think to wrap it back up to the back of it, to the, to the back of the conversation and why we talked about Snowpiercer and classism is uh, you see this egregious stuff that's enabled by classism. The, there are reasons why the healthcare system and the hospital system is allowed to be exploited so heavily. The reasons why the military system is allowed to be exploited and, and expenditures so freely and willingly. There's, there's, you know, there's a real issue with classism going on. And I think there are probably people that will say, oh, well, I'm, I'm making good money. I'm okay. I'm fine. And don't realize that you're more than likely being abused. Yeah. Um, and there's like, like Snowpiercer, you probably don't even know about the front of the train. 
probably yeah. don't even know yeah. about the front of the train. So well, that sure was a dark, uh-huh. Uh, a billion dollars. I think somebody did some math on it. If you were making, um, I think it was like if you're making two thousand dollars a day, which is a shit ton of money. If you're making yeah. that every day for seven days a week, uh, it would take you from the time of when Jesus Christ was resurrected till now to make a billion dollars. Um. Yeah. So Damn. if we take, I'm sorry. I need to add two more zeros in there. Yeah, it's like 500,000 days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, or 50,000 days. It doesn't be 50,000, whatever. So, anyway, uh, that was a dark opener. Um, 